0: Been here for a little while. We've enjoyed the fellowship so much. Forgot we got to have church. <laughs> oh boy! And no Elijah this morning. He's he is preaching junior church down at Churchill Baptist in Augusta this morning. So they're the man who runs their bus ministry, Brother Woody. Talked to him several weeks ago and said, "I want to have you come every once in a while and preach to the bus kids and the youth kids." And so uh, they asked him to go down this morning. So. He says, it's kind of tough. It's like your first day back from vacation. But it was an opportunity to preach, so he's excited about it. All right, 349, 349, glory to his name. Let's go ahead and stand together as we sing.
1: Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood of.
0: 78 378. 378 it is well with my soul My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Aren't you thankful that Christ's blood, his sacrifice, didn't cover just <coughs> part of our sins? Amen. It didn't just cover certain sins. It didn't just cover <laughs> our sins up to a certain point, but it covered all of them, it said, is nailed to the cross, Amen. and I bear it no more. Bear Amen. what? My sin. Which sins? All of them. How much of them? There, there's not one sin that is not covered, that has not been covered. Uh, what about future sins? They're under the blood. Amen. It's it's paid for. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, Oh my soul. Let's sing that one one more time, and then we will be seated after that I said air conditioning weather, uh, so forgive me, we'll get the air conditioning in for next week. won't get it in today, but uh, just a few announcements to touch on. Saturday, July 1st, so that's this coming Saturday, is going to be our next men's prayer breakfast, so 7.30 uh, a.m., obviously, Erica and I weren't here for last Saturday, so uh, we moved it to this coming Saturday, so that's July 1st. 7 7.30 a.m. This guy's supposed to be done. I didn't uh, this guy's supposed to be on. Just noticed the announcements are still rolling over there. There we go. Okay, so uh, that's coming up this coming Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Monday, July 10th, so not tomorrow, but the following Monday is the next ladies' meeting, so that'll be at 6 p.m. If you can come to that ladies, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be a blessing no doubt and then also so we're setting it as july 23rd i've got a call to see what they're if they have any kind of rules or anything so we'll call it tentative but if all goes well july 23rd i've been talking about this for about a year and a half uh, but fielder's choice ice cream i don't know if you've ever had fielder's choice ice cream it's my favorite it's homemade uh, maybe it's not everybody's favorite, but I really like it, uh, and I have no doubt you will if you've never had it before. Well, they have one in Bangor, and it just so happens it's also got a mini-golf course. So I've been saying, I've told a few people anyways, that we need to plan like a Sunday afternoon after church. Everybody who wants to go up, maybe anybody who's interested in playing around a mini-golf uh, you know, can play, and obviously if everybody wants to play, we might have to break up into groups and then at the end maybe we figure out what everybody's score is and go that route but uh, we play mini golf play and then afterwards have some ice cream maybe before and afterwards i mean it's just whatever yeah. everybody wants <laughs> winner, gets <the> ice cream. <laughs> winner gets the ice cream well so anyways i put a sign-up sheet out back because i wanted to see what the interest level was what we would probably do is uh, instead of the afternoon service We'll go after lunch, head to Bangor, do mini golf, have some ice cream, and then maybe do like a devotional uh, right there. They'd have some picnic tables and stuff, um, so we'll do something like that and just, you know, have a good time as a church family. I think it, it'd, be, it'd be good, yeah. Um, you know, for New Year's this year, we did a game night right here at the church and got pizzas and had, you know, some, some goodies and played board games and stuff, and it was just a blast. and I've been wanting to do something else uh, as a church, just for fun, and we do need to plan another game night. I've got at least one person that's asked me, Pastor, when are you going to plan another game night? That was so much fun. So we'll we'll do this since it's that season, and we'll, and then maybe this fall winter we'll, we'll plan some more game nights. But uh, so, anyways, the 23rd. So that's four Saturdays from now. So I wanted to plan it far enough out that folks were. are You guys gone that weekend? Oh, you know. don't. Know, okay. Okay, uh, just wanted to plan it far enough out that hopefully we can try to get everybody to be able to be a part. But if you know if folks are gonna be away, let me know. If it's like you know a bunch of people are gonna miss, maybe we'll, we'll look at other dates. But we're gonna shoot for this one. Hopefully everybody can come that wants to come and be a part of it. So sign up sheet is on this table out back. I put a pen on it. And if you sign up, it's not saying you are 100% committed it's saying I'm interested and I would like to go. Our family would like to go, and everybody doesn't have to put your name down. You know, if you put, we'll put Pelkey's. If you put Elliott's or Barney's or Parkers or whatever, you know, we'll know that your family wants to come uh, and be there, and we'll just try to have a good group. It'll be a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, that's what I have for announcements today. Caleb, you want to come on yeah. down? You pray for the offering, yes, sir. God, thank you for this
1: wonderful day, Lord. Please bless the offering, Lord. Please bless the service, Lord, and please bless our hearts with the message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.
0: Oh, the blessing! I think that's give thanks. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, something that uh, all of us would do well to do more of—giving yeah. thanks. We have a lot to give thanks for, that's for sure. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times we'd rather complain than give thanks. <laughs> we'd rather talk about the things that we're that are going hard or difficult instead of giving thanks to the Lord for all the blessings we have what a difference that makes in our attitude when we flip that switch and we mm-hmm. focus on what we have to give thanks for. So, Thank you, Andrew. That was a blessing. I know it's a lot of pressure to play in front of people, but I really appreciate it. That was a blessing. You, you did a great job. The job. <laughs> <laughs> the team, it was even worse than it is now. <laughs> 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 All right. Hymn number 300. 300. Have thine own way, Lord. We'll go ahead and stand if you're able. If not, that's perfectly fine. I know in the old days we used to sit on the last hymn, but Elijah always has us stand, and it's true. We do sing better when we stand up. So We'll stand this last time. I'll make you sit for a while. So No, I'm just kidding. 300, have thine own way. Have thine own way. Wow. all shall see Christ only always living in me. And you know, we have to give the Lord his way in our lives if that is going to be the case. If it's going to be visible that Christ is living in us. Otherwise what people see is us living in us. And uh, there's plenty of that in the world. (laughs) So he wants to see... He wants to show himself to the world through our lives. What, a, uh, what an honor that is. What a blessing that is. And a privilege that we get to have that part, have that role. So we are in Luke 22 this morning. Luke chapter number 22, and are we dismissing the kids? Nope, okay, sorry. Luke 22, 31 is where we're going to be. I need to learn that I don't turn and talk well. Talking away, turning pages, not even paying attention to what page I'm on, where I'm at. All right, Luke 22, 31. I told you I was going to let you sit for a while, but not after we stand one more time. Chapter 22, sorry, chapter 22, verse 31. So that's wrong. Sorry about that. Let me make sure that's the one that's wrong. Yes, that's the one that's wrong. Forgive me. (laughs) That's really weird. Ha, look at that. I don't know why it had 21. That I typed 21. This is the one that automatically syncs up with my notes, so it's, we're good now. All right, verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, thank you for your word, thank you for what you can and what you will teach us, if we would just come to you and to your word with open hearts, desiring to learn what you've said, and through that, Lord, you'll, you'll apply it to us. And Father, I just pray this morning that you would do just that, that you would help us to see what takes place in this passage of scripture. And then help us to learn from it, Lord. Help us to grow. Help us to be challenged. And Lord, help us to apply these truths and principles to our lives that we might, uh, we might be convicted, we might be changed, we might be transformed even more into what you would have us to be. And Father, we look to you to help us this morning. We ask these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't think I said this earlier, but... It is really good to be home. Not that it wasn't good to be on vacation. It was. We had a lot of fun. We learned something this past week. This is the longest vacation we've ever taken away from the kids. So we've taken a longer vacation with the kids, but just the two of us, uh, at least, well, since we've had kids anyways, this is the longest we've ever gone away. So that was kind of weird, and it was tough kind of to make that decision to go for, you know, be gone for seven days, but we learned it took us about three to four days. The first three to four days, we just missed the kids, we missed our home, we missed, you know, our church, we just missed our normal life. So the first three or four days, it was like, if we weren't busy, we were sad. You know, that was kind of how it went for us. So it took us about three or four days of, we're sitting there and it's like, What do you want to do? (laughs) We got to do something, because if we don't, we're just going to sit here and mope, you know? (laughs) Which we didn't say that, we didn't communicate that until after we got to the other side of it. And then it was like, huh. So it was about day three, four, somewhere in there, that all of a sudden it was like, everything's okay. We can actually relax and just enjoy some restful time and not be stressed and homesick and, I mean, we talked to the kids every day. It wasn't like it, we were, you know, checked out from our lives entirely. But it was just, you know, we were finally reached that point where it was like, okay, we can take a breath now and just settle into vacation mode. So that was good. It was a, it was a neat lesson for us to learn, and it was good for us. And maybe next time we go away, it won't take so long. Maybe it will. I have no idea, but uh, it, was really, it was really good for us. So yeah. anyways. Okay, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> what we did, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. What I did think was, you know, I'm really, I'm thankful to be going home and seeing the kids, but now that we kind of learned where that, like, rest mode was, it was kind of like, it would have been nice to have another day or two, because it was like maybe two days of like, and then it was like, oh man, now that we finally relaxed, we got to go, you know? So I will admit, there was at the end, we were like, But at the same time, we were really excited to come home and see the kids and be back at church this Sunday. And so we were not sad to come home. But we did have that little epiphany moment, that little like, oh, you know, another day or maybe, you know, maybe next time we'll hit that spot earlier. But okay, so we just read Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. So this was Satan's desire for the Apostle Peter. And in reality, you know, it's his desire for every believer, for every Christian. He wants to sift us as wheat. So we're going to look at some some things this morning about what Christ was communicating to Peter. We're going to look at some things that uh, deal with what exactly took place. Sift basically just means to pick apart or to divide. You know what the Bible says over in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways? Well, Satan wants to create a double-mindedness in us as Christians. He wants to pick us apart, he wants to divide us with ourselves so that we're confused and mixed up. He wants to divide the believers in a church, he wants to divide a home, he wants to... He wants to pick it apart and destroy everything he can that is good and that is godly. That is his desire. One explanation says grain was agitated or shaken in a kind of fan or sieve. So, uh, you know, sometimes they would they'd put it on a sheet and they'd dump the grain in there and they'd have a fan or something going and they would toss it up and that fan would blow the chaff and the the junk out and then the wheat would come back down and they'd do that some. Uh, you know, I kind of think if you've ever raked blueberries, you use a winnowing machine. You dump the blueberries on the on the conveyor belt and as they fall down into the box, there's a fan that blows the leaves and sometimes will get the sticks out too. Uh, the little twigs that might be in there. But it's kind of along those same lines. It's, it's dividing out the two different things. Well, Satan didn't want to get rid of the bad things but he wanted to cause Peter to be mixed up and to be confused and to be uh, torn up. So, Christ told Peter that this is what Satan's desire was, and Peter uh, needed to heed this warning. Uh, So, I guess this morning what I'm giving us is the same warning, and I say us because I'm including myself in in the picture here, the same warning that Christ gave Peter, that we need to be careful... That because Satan wants to sift us as wheat. They just finished the Lord's Supper, and then Christ gives them this warning. It was a special time with the Lord. Uh, I honestly can't say that, and none of us can, that we know what that night was like. You know, going up into the upper room, partaking of the Lord's Supper, as he explains and kind of talks through some of it, and, speaks to them and letting the disciples know that one of them was going to betray him, uh, and of course they all were worried it was them, you know, is it me, is it me, is it me? And not long after we know things kind of switched, because we talked about that some a couple weeks ago, about how when Christ talked to Peter not long after that, well actually it's right after this, before the cock crow twice, they'll thou, thou deny me thrice, uh, so... That was Peter's attitude kind of switch. And that switch in attitude has consequences. That uh, mindset, Peter went from, is it I, to I'll die before I'll deny you. And remember, Christ is the word of God. He's the living word. So Peter was essentially telling the word, I don't care what you say, it's not true. I don't care what you say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to cave, I'm not going to give in. And whether or not we really see it as that, sometimes we have that same spirit or attitude. And we're going to look and see some things that led to Peter actually denying Christ three times. Uh, so, a couple things we want to be aware of before we get too far into this. One, we have an adversary. The same one who wanted to sift Peter is our adversary, and he wants to sift us. See? Just like I told you. It's on the screen, too. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So, you know who he's going to devour? You know the ones that lions devour? I haven't watched a Discovery Channel a lot or whatever channel it's on, Animal Planet or whatever, but I've seen a couple of episodes over the years on lions, and it seems to me they're the ones that like to pick off the weak ones, the ones that are alone by themselves, the sickly ones. Uh, seems like that's what lions like to do. Uh, they, they go after those ones. They're not fast like cheetahs, but they're sneaky, and they get in there and they don't hit they also like to scavenge too. Yep. So when they find something that's already dead, they'll eat that or steal it from someone else, right? So uh, you know that's what they—that's how they are. That's how lions are. So when this verse says, "Be sober, be vigilant," it's saying keep your right mind, keep your mind straight. Don't get uh, under the influence of things we shouldn't. Be vigilant. The ones that are alone, that separate from the pack, that find themselves off somewhere where they shouldn't be? They're not being very vigilant, are they? They're allowing themselves to wander. The ones that are sickly, well, they ought to stay with the pack. And I mean, I'm not saying come to church when you're sick, OK? Just hear all I'm saying. But spiritually, the ones that are sickly, this is where we need to be with the body, not off out somewhere else. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's just looking for one to pick off. He's looking for one to sift. And that moves into the uh, person. The devil wants to take you down as an individual, as a person. That moves into the home. The devil wants to take your family down. If he can destroy a marriage, if he can destroy a child, if he can wreck a home, he wants to do it. Uh, and he will. Look at the divorce rates in America. I don't know what they're at right now, but um, I actually, last I knew, and this was several years ago, I think they've come down a little bit, but it's because less people bother to get married now. They just, you know, they just shack up or whatever. So uh, the devil wants to take down those closest to you, your friends and your mentors. If he can destroy someone that you're close with, That hurts he can destroy uh, someone that you look up to and that you respect and that you've learned from. Well, for instance, I know I shared this several weeks ago, uh, but Brother Jeff Faggart, you know, we learned of sin that he's been living in for some time, and he's not in the ministry anymore. Well, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's not pastoring the church he was. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of pastors around the country, really around the world, that have really looked up to him and respected him, myself included, and have just really learned a lot from him, and that can do detrimental harm to somebody. I mean, I was hurt, but I wasn't, you know, knocked down, but especially somebody who's younger, who doesn't, you know, hasn't lived enough life to see this kind of stuff happen, How heart-wrenching is that? I was talking with uh, my former pastor, Pastor Wiley, and I can't remember, I think he said in the last five years there have been three friends of his that have all destroyed their ministry through the same type of stuff. You know, just either the guy or the girl ran. You know, either the pastor or his wife. And that's, that's sad. You know, I mean... We all should be above reproach, but certainly the pastor and his wife should be um, because God's put us in a position of being an example. So we should really strive for that. And remember, we're still human beings. The best of men are still men at best. I'm not saying by any means we're the best, but I'm just saying the ones who are, even them, they're still men. But. I am saying that it should certainly be something that we are. We ought to be pure. We ought to be uh, right with one another. It's really hard to counsel somebody on their marriage relationship when the person trying to counsel's relationship's a wreck. You know, I mean, it just, how do you do that? Fake it, I guess. And I never want to be a faker. I want to be real and honest. So... (sighs) So (laughs) the devil wants to take down those closest to you, your friends and mentors. So this church has an adversary. The church will be victorious, according to Matthew 16, 18, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be a battle. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be attacks. It doesn't mean that there will not be any adversity. Uh, Matthew 16, 18 implies the gates of hell would not prevail, but they're going to try to. When Christ said over in Matthew 16:18, I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It would imply that the gates of hell were going to try. That Satan would try to destroy the church. And sadly, there are many churches who have been destroyed. Now, I'm I'm jumping a little bit ahead and I don't I'm not plan on talking about this but just briefly there's seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And I know I mentioned I think it was the last Sunday afternoon service a couple weeks ago when we got back to Revelation that I believe there's three applications to those letters. There's the historical that there were literally seven churches in 96 or 95 or 98, whenever, A.D., somewhere between 95 and 100 A.D., when the Apostle John penned those letters, there were literally seven churches that existed that those letters were for. Church at uh, Pergamos and Philadelphia and Laodicea and so on. So you have that. Then there's the, the prophetic, which I believe in the tribulation period, there will be seven Jewish groups attempting to work as a church. There'll be churches, called out assemblies that are trying to serve the Lord, and we'll see that in the future when we get to those letters. We haven't got there yet. And then there's the devotional application, which is for you and I, uh, and what we can take from those letters in our present age. Now, I say that to say we will see in those letters that to all those churches Christ threatened to do something, If they didn't make some changes, he threatened to remove their candlestick. Uh, And we will see in the devotional that for the last 2,000 years, there have been periods of time that I believe each of those churches represent. And that through the period of time, we can see that we're in that last church's age, the church of Laodicea, where Christians were lukewarm. And he says, repent or I'll take your candlestick, basically, and each of those generations, well, they've essentially gone by the wayside. Why? Because the churches, once they reach those points of sin, they didn't get them right, and time would end and move on to the next stage. So, there's your reference. I didn't put the screen up there. We didn't turn. So, the devil wants to take down the pastor and his family. I kind of already touched on that a little bit, you know, Brother Faggart was an example of that. Uh, and, you know, I've learned of more pastors that aren't necessarily independent Baptists, fundamental, you know, King James, all that stuff. But in the last five years, at least three, one was missionary church planner, Actually, two of them were missionary church planners. One of them was kind of been there longer than I have, uh, started the church. And in his case, his wife left. She just took off. And So anyways, just sad, heart-wrenching stuff. So he wants to destroy the pastor and his family. The devil wants to destroy those closest to the pastor, the mentors and the friends. He wants to destroy this body of believers, this church. If he could wreck this place, he would do it. Well, what's one of the ways that he could do it? Well, if he could destroy the pastor, that would be a pretty good start. If he could take the pastor down. I'm not saying I can't be replaced, and I'm not saying the church couldn't go on, but there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of damage that's done when the pastor is in something like that, or does something, and the the devil really does destroy him. It does a lot of damage, and for some people, it's irreversible damage. For some people, they are hurt so deeply by that that they'll never darken the doors of a church again. For some people, they'll be out of church for a long time. For some people, they'll go to a completely different type of church. Even though it preaches wrong doctrine, they just, they don't want to be, you know, they'll associate it with Baptists. I've heard somebody say, I'll never go to a Baptist church again because I went to one once and the pastor did this. And I just could never go to another Baptist church. And it's like, well, if the Bible is being preached and it's right doctrine, the name on the sign is not the reason why, anyways... We don't need to get into all that, but, so the pastor's not the church, but a lot of damage is done. So, we're going to get to our message here. I think we've kind of, we've set the stage as much as I'm going to set it for today. So, Matthew 14, let's jump over to verse 66. Matthew 14 and verse 66. You don't have Matthew fourteen sixty six. Oh, Mark, Mark, Mark. I'm sorry, Mark fourteen. Forgive me. I told you I was on vacation, right? No, oh, I'm just kidding. Are you still there? Oh <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm trying to get back, but all right. He said
1: this morning.
0: Yeah, I said next time. So that's another thing I learned. Coming back from vacation on a Saturday when Sunday's the next day, it's not ideal. (laughs) Because I was like, I need a couple days for my brain to settle back into life, you know, and to routine. So Mark 14, beginning in verse number 66. It says, And as Peter was beneath in the place, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. I'll just read the first line of the next verse for now. And the second time the cock crew. So three times Peter denied Christ before the cock would crow twice. So we see that he did what Christ told him he would do. To us now, on the outside looking in, it's like, well, duh, of course he did. Christ said he was going to do it. But to Peter, in the moment, he was determined, bound and determined he wasn't going to do it, just a short time before he actually went out and did it. And one would think, after the first time, he'd go, I did it, oh no, but no, sometimes we can just get into this mindset where it's like, we just cannot see what's going, what's happening right in front of us, or we just cannot see what we're doing in the middle of what we're doing. So... We already talked about We know there's an adversary. There are consequences to not heeding the warnings that are given. So we're going to look at some things that brought Peter to where he ended up. We need to learn to be sober and vigilant. So Mark, got it right this time, 14, verse 27, down through 29. It says, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye... Shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. So the first thing we see is Peter was very self confident. He had a lot of self confidence that came out in that conversation. Though all shall be offended, not me. Though all shall, shall deny you tonight. I won't. He kind of thought highly of himself. What does the Bible say about pride? Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, when we're overly confident in ourselves, we're looking, we're looking to get ourselves into trouble. He was confident in himself. The basis of his statement was him. Though all shall be offended, yet will not I. It was me. It was his ability to not be offended. So he was was not going to offend the Lord. If we look, don't lose your place in Mark, but if you look over in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I'm pretty sure that's where I want to be. Just kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So, you know, if we think we stand, we better watch out. We better better be aware, because we're we're setting ourselves up for a fall. And that was Peter. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth. Peter thought he was going to be all good. But he didn't take heed before he actually did fall. You know, if we think we're good and we take heed quick enough, we can avoid the fall. But Peter didn't. We should avoid being overconfident, at least in ourselves. Our confidence in God can never be too much. You know, there's no, there's no well, I've just got too much confidence in God. That's going to get me in trouble. Well, no, that's not, that's not a thing. But overconfidence in ourselves will lead us into trouble. Uh, Now, we can put things on God that he's never promised to do. Uh, we We can do things like that. But as far as our faith and our confidence in God, we can't have too much. Mark chapter 14, verse 30. If you look over in verse 30, down to 31. It says, I'll give you another second here. It says, And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice, but he spake the more vehemently. So Christ didn't tell him just once, after Peter said he wouldn't, Christ said it again, and this time it says, And he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee. I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So Peter's rebellion got the rest of the group all fired up and and joining in. And I say rebellion because he was going against Christ. Would that not be rebellion? I think it would. So the word defiance, uh, well, no, his second reason is defiance. There we go. The word vehemently with great force and violence. That's what it means. I dare say Peter might have been yelling at Christ as he said that he would not deny him. Certainly, he was quite passionate in how he communicated this this statement. Having never stood in front of Christ, that makes me, you know, face to face, as a man to a man, that makes me think, how in the world did he ever have the guts to act that way. But he was with Christ for three and a half years. What happens to us over time? We get complacent. We take for granted things we shouldn't. That's how it happened. He, in this moment, now I'm not saying all the time or in general even, but in this moment, Peter was defiant. He rejected God's word. Sometimes we miss it. He was not talking to another disciple. He was talking to Christ. I know I already said the living word. So, and you know, when we defy the Holy Spirit, we're doing the very same thing. We are defying God. So this is the same as rebellion. Peter rebelled against God's word. 1 Samuel 15, 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord... He also, also, he hath also. There we go. Rejected thee from being king. Oh boy, my lisp is coming out this morning. I guess. So that was to Saul after he sinned. But I've, from the first time I heard this verse, I've never forgotten. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Most of us would say. Well, I would never practice witchcraft. Well, I I would never want to be an idolater. But if we rebel against the Lord, if we are stubborn when it comes to obeying Him, the Bible says it's no different than witchcraft or idolatry. That'll, That'll get you thinking. It gets me thinking every time I read that verse or think of that verse. I have to take a step back and go, wow, am I, have I been rebellious towards the Lord? Have I been stubborn? He told him, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. That's what Peter did too, isn't it? And that's what we do every time we're rebellious or stubborn. We're rejecting the word of the Lord. All right, we're back in Mark 14, verse 35 this time. Mark 14, beginning in verse 35. It says, And he went forward a little while, and fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. So our next thing is prayerlessness and indifference. Remember, you know, he'd been with Christ now for roughly three and a half years kind of in this moment, become indifferent, careless, uh, complacent. He was taking him for granted. And the result was prayerlessness. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not asking anybody to put yourself on the spot with me. But in your heart, between you and God, you ever gone through a period of prayerlessness? Where your prayer life has been weak or even maybe even not existent. We might think, well, I pray over my meals. No, that's better than nothing. But I remember <laughs> sometimes when I was the assistant at Churchill, Pastor Wiley and I would take a guest preacher or missionary out to lunch, and uh, whoever he would ask to pray would pray, and sometimes it was me, sometimes it was someone else. And if you prayed a little bit longer than what he thought you should for a meal, he'd say, you know, mealtime times not the time to catch up on your prayer life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which, at the moment, it was like, it was kind of embarrassing. But he would say it as a joke. But, you know, that's what he was kind of getting at was, you know, now is not the time. And sometimes people would pray long just because they wanted to look good in front of yeah. the other pastors or whatever. Uh, but, you know, our, our mealtime is not our, it's not the same as taking set apart scheduled time to just commune with the Lord in prayer, to fellowship with the Lord in prayer. And I'm not saying we don't pray over our meals. We do. We should. And give thanks for Him. I'm not saying we can't pray about things specifically during that time. But I am saying we should have a set time at least once a day. And really, uh, the Bible says pray without ceasing. We should be in fellowship with the Lord throughout the day and commune with Him and communicate with Him. Uh, but certainly we should have time where we take to pray. Prayerlessness and indifference is a dangerous place to be, and yet we live in the Laodicean age, the age of lukewarm Christianity, where I think that's probably the norm for most Christians today, It's prayerlessness and indifference. It's not, not, uh, I guess it is kind of the fault of us, but it's, It's the time we live in. It's natural for Christians in this age to be lukewarm. And I don't say natural as in it's normal, so it's good. I say natural as in it's the time we live in, and that's just how Christians tend to live in this age, in this time. Um, It's the natural progression of history. And, you know, we live in probably the, the country that is... I hate to say it, but it just may be the worst of all. Yeah. And you know why? It's because of our uh, prosperity. It's because we have everything we want. We don't even have to work that hard for it in comparison to other places. You know, there are places if they want food, they have to grow it themselves. They have to go find it themselves. It's not an option to do anything different. And if they, And if they fail to get their food that day, they don't eat. And sometimes they go days without eating. Uh, you know, you all seen the pictures of the kids over in Africa that are starving, and, you know, they often got big bloated bellies. That's all part of the malnutrition. They can't eat. And we, we take all those things for granted, and you better believe if, if they get a meal, they're thanking somebody. Whether it's the same God that we serve or not, I don't know, but they're thankful for it. Whereas so often we get a meal and A, we probably eat too much of it because we can in this country and B, we're not as thankful for it as we should because we take it for granted because we just, we get it, we have it, it's easy. Uh, you know, I'm, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to turn real quick to Revelation. I just want to read this one part about that Laodicean church. And I know I've read it before, but it's in Revelation 3. But I just think it... Oh, help if I'm in Revelation. I'm like, this is not what I'm looking for. So in in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 15... Uh, just so you know, verse 14, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. So he's writing to the church at Laodicea. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So the Lord's saying, I would rather you were cold than lukewarm. Now, obviously, he would rather we're hot over anything. But he's saying, I don't like this lukewarm thing. He says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, it makes him sick. Because thou sayest, I am rich. Here's the problem. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Does that not sound like Americans? (laughs) I'm sorry, but... I love our country, don't get me wrong. I love the freedoms that we enjoy. I'm thankful for the people who have sacrificed for them. I'm just saying because we have it so good, we take it for granted. And because we take it for granted, not only do we not appreciate what we have in this country, but as Christians, we don't appreciate that God has blessed us so much. And because of that, because we take those things for granted... Instead of giving thanks as Andrew played for the offertory, we complain that we don't have even more stuff or even better things or or it's not our life isn't easier than what it is, and the result is we don't even realize we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, we don't have what really matters. We are in reality rich compared to other countries. And if we're saved spiritually, we are rich but we, are, we live as though we are poor and we are missing out on the richness that we can have in Christ. So that is what caused this church to be lukewarm. They had everything they wanted. In their thoughts, they had everything they needed and they had need of nothing. And the result was they actually needed a whole lot more than what they realized. Prayerlessness and indifference is a dangerous place to be. And yet it is natural for Christians in our age. So what does that mean we should do? We should look inward and say am I one of the, am I a lukewarm Christian? And if we're honest, probably in some areas we'd have to admit, boy, I got work to do because I'm not hot like I should be. Mark 14:47. It says, and one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know who this is. Uh, It's Peter. We know that because of John 18.10. It says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So the next thing that we've got to be careful of is impulsiveness. Peter was impulsive. He jumped to action when that was not Christ's plan. That wasn't what Christ wanted. Now, granted, it gave him the opportunity to pick up the servant's ear and put it back on, but in the process, he also had to correct Simon. So, we as Christians sometimes can react impulsively. We as human beings sometimes can react impulsively. We just, we jump on things before we really think about them. We make decisions before we pray about them. Impulsiveness results in apologies. It results in uh, us having to try to backpedal out of a situation. Puts us in a position of having to fix mistakes. You know, sometimes impulsiveness works out okay. We jump on something and then go, oh, no, should I have done that? And everything still works out. But many times it doesn't, and we have to try to fix whatever the consequences are of our impulsive behavior. So we need to be careful about being impulsive. Mark 14, 54. Mark fourteen fifty four. It says, And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. So he was following Christ, but he was following him from a distance. He was afar off. That made it real easy to deny him. Because if he had been right there with Christ, following close by, no one would have doubted that he was Christ's servant. And he would have had a hard time denying it because he'd have been standing right there with them. When they said, Are you Christ's servant? Uh, what do you do in that situation? You know? It's like Eric and I walking around holding hands. Is that your wife? kind of hard to deny I'm holding their hand (laughs) if I say no I'm in trouble because they see the wedding ring (laughs) so you know when we're when we keep our distance we put ourselves in a in a tough spot so the same Peter he was so quick to say he would lay his life down for Christ all of a sudden was keeping his distance from him why so that he would not be associated with him He wanted to keep his distance because he didn't want people to know that he was one of his disciples. This is the spirit of apathy, of lukewarmness that we've been kind of leading to and talking about. God is not pleased with the Christian that's not serious about their faith. Satan effectively sifting many Christians with a lack of prayer. Many are keeping their distance from God so that they can have heaven and live in their flesh, have their fleshly desires. What's a line of, What does a walking a line of lukewarmness look like? Well, keep God at arm's length and keep the world at arm's length. You know, a lot of people say, well, we need to have balance. We've got to have this balance. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about balance. I, I think Revelation chapter 3, dealing with the church at Laodicea, is probably the closest thing we have to the Bible talking about balance. And that balance is a nice mixture of cold and hot, which equals lukewarm, and Christ says it makes him sick. That's what he thinks of balance. Now, are there extremes on either side? Sure. But he doesn't say, I want you to have balance. He says, I want you to be hot. And if you're not hot, I'd rather you're cold than you're lukewarm. He doesn't want us standing in the middle, trying to balance the world, our flesh, and him. He wants us standing all the way over here by him. And you know when we do that, you know what happens to the world? It gets farther away, right? As we move closer to him, I'm about the end of the line here. But as we move closer to him, the world gets farther away, and we find ourselves where we ought to be. The last thing out of the same verse, Mark 14, 54, again, it says, And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warned himself at the fire. You know whose servants he was sitting by? It wasn't Christ. The high priest servants, exactly. Bad company. He was keeping bad company. Kids, you know why your parents are so concerned about who who you're friends with? Because keeping bad company will put us in a position where we're probably going to do bad things. It just happens that way. When I was a kid, I had friends that I wanted to have uh, and my parents were very restrictive about who I hung out with. And I went to public school, um, but thankfully my parents were Christians and they were strict. Uh, but that didn't completely prevent me from bad company. But they did pretty good. You know, if I wanted to go to a friend's house for the weekend, I was 18 years old my senior year in high school. And Dad would say, well, I need to talk to the parents first and make sure I know what's going on. And they're, you're going to be supervised. And I'm thinking... I'm 18 years old. I can't have you call my friend's parents. And he'd be like, well, that's the, that's what you got to do. So either I call him or you don't go. And I was like, well, I guess I don't go because I'm not going to have. That's embarrassing. <laughs> so I stayed home. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. I had one friend that they let me hang out with. And he was, you know, he wasn't a Christian, but he was a good moral kid. And we didn't get into too much trouble together. But there were plenty of kids that I did want to hang out with because they were teammates, you know, in basketball or soccer, and uh, they wouldn't let me without that rule being fulfilled. And I hated it at the time. I loathed it. Like I told you, I just stayed home because I didn't, I was embarrassed. But you know, it kept me from keeping bad company and getting into a lot of trouble. You know, a lot of those kids would drink and party and, doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing as Christians, and I'm not saying I would have participated in that, but if I had had liberty to do whatever I wanted and go wherever I wanted and hang out with those kids, I hate to say it, but I probably would have ended up doing it. Because what happens so often is kids, this is, well, this is where I was going with this. My sales pitch to my parents. Well, if I hang out with them, I can be a good influence on them. Maybe I can help them. and my. Dad especially's comment was, or they're going to get you doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. No, no, I wouldn't do that. But honestly, I have no doubt that I would. I don't don't question for a moment. If I do, then I probably need to check myself because I'm more like Peter than I want to be. Not I. I'll never do that. And when I was 18 years old, that was my attitude. No, I won't. No, I won't. And whether Dad realized it or not, he knew I was more like Peter. (laughs) And I'd have probably gone and done it. So we got to be careful about the company we keep. Even as adults, we got to be careful because people will influence us. He was hanging around the enemy's fire. If the disciples were together, would Peter have been so quick to deny his relationship with the Lord? If he was with the other disciples and they asked him, maybe John would have been like, yeah we are. So even if Peter for a second thought, I'm scared, I don't want to, maybe John or James, Or Bartholomew would have said, yeah, we are. We're his disciples. Maybe just being with his brethren instead of being with a bunch of enemies would have caused him to look at his companions and say, yeah, I'm with him. I'm his disciple. Because being around other Christians is encouraging. It gives you... uh, It gives you strength, whether or not we realize it or understand it, when you're with like-minded people, when you're with the body, it builds you up and you are stronger than when you're by yourself. And Peter put himself in a position where he was weak, he was away from the pack, he was hanging around the wrong people, he was in the wrong place, and when the lion came out and saw him over there, weak and alone, he had his opportunity to sift him, and he did. So we got to be careful about putting ourselves in the same position. It's interesting how quick some Christians can be to hide their faith when they're with certain company. I pray that would never be us. Verse 72, and we're done. Matthew 14, 72. We read up to it earlier, but we didn't quite get there. Well, we read the first line. And the second time the cock crew, the second time what? Well, it was the second time that he crowed, and he had denied him three times already. And the result was, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. It's sad that sometimes we don't realize we're doing it until it's too late. We don't realize we're making the mistake until it's made. We can be so bullheaded to just go where we want to go and do what we want to do and make the decisions we want to make that we do all those things and then we go, oh, stink, I messed up, and it's too late. Now we've got to try to backtrack. We've got to do all the other stuff. So we know that Peter must have repented because we see him running off weeping when he realizes sin. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Peter's heart was broken. He was humbled and contrite. You know what we often say, if we don't humble ourselves, the Lord will humble us? Well, He lifted himself up, and the Lord said, "Mm Mm-mm, Peter, I'm going to humble you. And when he did, you know what the result was? Acts chapter number 2, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 souls, 3,000 men. So we don't know really how many total were saved. Pretty profound. So he wants to sift each one of us. Peter knew from experience, so God used him to record the warning to be sober and vigilant. I don't think it was an accident. He's the one that God chose to pen those words. He knew probably as well as anyone else how Satan was as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So claim victory in Christ and live as he commanded us to. Listen, we are all capable of sin. Every single one of us. You know why? Because we still carry around the old flesh. Someday, we will no longer be capable of sin because we won't carry around this old flesh. And when we get a new body, it'll be just that. This corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. And in that moment, the body we get will be incapable of sin. But in the meantime, we've got the battle. I mean, we talk about it often. The flesh and the spirit. We're all capable of sin. We've got to live our life in the spirit. I love this passage because it really walks us through some good examples of how we can wind up sinning if we're not careful. So let's be careful. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll fellowship for a little bit. We'll have lunch. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray Peter's example while I I don't like picking on Peter because he was a great man used mightily by you. But Lord, you did give us some good examples with Peter. And the reality is he's a good example because so often we can relate to him. When he does do things that wind up being mistakes, we probably, if we're honest, can see times when we have been just like that and made those very same mistakes. So I'm thankful for those records because it reminds me that I'm human and that the disciples were human. But it also reminds me that while they were, while they were human, they were mightily used by God. And Lord, I pray that We would recognize that even though we're not perfect, even though we make mistakes, even though we fall short, you can still use us mightily for you. And I pray, Lord, that would be our heart's desire to be used by you. I pray we would want to live for you. We'd want to be obedient. We'd want to be, uh, Lord, walk closely and intimately with you. So that when you do want to use us, as you use us, we can accomplish the things you want us to because we're where we need to be. We're not with the wrong crowd. We're not being impulsive. We're not indifferent or careless or prayerless. But we're on fire and in close proximity to our Savior, ready and listening. Father, I pray you'd help us before we close the prayer this morning is there anyone that would slip up their hand and say pastor I do not know Christ as my personal savior I know I want to go to heaven someday I know that I want that for myself but I can't say that I've ever personally trusted him as my own savior if you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I don't know Christ is my Savior, but I want to. How about Christians? You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you'd say, you know, I definitely can be impulsive sometimes. I definitely can be indifferent complacent take the Lord take his word for granted can definitely be prideful prayerless lukewarm you know there's there was we looked at a lot of different things and probably we see some if not all of them in ourselves at times Let's just take a couple minutes, give folks a chance to pray and just ask the Lord for help. And maybe maybe the Lord touched something specifically that uh, you know you need his help with. Let's just give folks a couple minutes to, to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the folks that are here today. Thank you for our church family. Lord, thank you for bringing us home safely so we could be back here and be with them again. And Lord, I just am so thankful for the many blessings that you've given us in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to apply what we've learned and what we've heard today. And Father, I just pray that we would be the kind of Christians that you've saved us to be. Christians who are on fire for You and that are faithful and obedient and committed. Christians who do what You want, Lord, because we love You. Not because it's our duty or we have to or we're, we're fearful of the consequences, but Lord, I pray we would be obedient and faithful to You because we love You. And we're thankful for all that You've done for us and because we don't take it for granted and we understand just how good and gracious you've been to us. It causes us to love you all the more and want to live for you and serve you all the more. Lord, I pray we'd understand and grasp the fact that you're our God. Lord, I just thank you so much for sending your Son to provide a way of salvation for us so we can have a relationship with you, so we can know you. And Lord, I pray again, we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would be ever so faithful. Lord, I just pray you bless the rest of our day. Give safety to those that have to leave. And Lord, we pray you bless the food to our bodies and the fellowship next door. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.